25 through 39. So we'll have another we'll have another section of John 7 just because the last two lessons I just they were just so much and it was so fast. In order to get it done, I had to go so fast and I'm sure there were questions left unanswered and you know it, we just couldn't get in, into any kind of depth so Rather than doing that all the way through the book of John and us leaving and saying, you know, I still don't know anything about John, I figured we would just slow down and take it as it comes and and just do what we do. So uh, we left off in John chapter 7, uh, remember, and I'm going to ask some questions this time. We're going to kind of get some interaction going rather than just me standing up here and talking for 45 minutes. But uh, we left off in John chapter 7. Jesus was teaching at the at the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, which was the feast uh, at the it was the last of the three feasts of the year for the Jews. And they would go and just a little background on the Feast of Tabernacles. They would go and build themselves little booths and they would live in those little booths, those little tabernacles. And what that did was it was a joyous occasion where they celebrated the 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 fact that God had brought them through the wilderness. You know, they celebrated the fact that God had provided them, you know, water from a rock and he provided for the needs. They were celebrating the harvest for that year. Oh, we got a new back row. Uh, they celebrated uh, all those things. And so uh, Jesus goes up to this feast and he's, he's teaching in the temple and people started questioning him. You remember that from last week? And, and they, they were just they were divided about who he was. Is this the Messiah? Well, this is just some guy. And, you know, the Pharisees were getting madder and madder and unbelief was abounding. People were denied. You know, they weren't sure who he was. They weren't. There was all we were talked about religious unbelief you know last week we talked about them because they had their set tradition they had their set religion and they weren't going to break that no matter what jesus said so that was their unbelief and then we also saw the selfish unbelief that the brothers had they just wanted jesus to go and be a miracle worker so they could you know cash in on his popularity What we're going to see here, what we're going to see here is uh, Jesus is going to continue to be offensive. He's going to get more and more offensive again, just like he did in John 6. He's going to start ticking people off more and more. And but the the one thing that we see in this in this particular story, 25 through 39, is uh, what stuck out to me anyway was that. Uh, Jesus won't be silenced until he decides to be silent. Uh, he won't be, you know, he won't, they try to come and get him and all that stuff. And, and here again, you see the same phrase, his hour has not come yet. So they couldn't lay a hand on him. And the other thing was that he gives the invitation of himself to everyone that's listening to him. That includes his enemies. That includes the people who are unsure about him. That includes the people who kind of believe, you know, he's the Messiah. So let's just read it and we'll get into it. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll open it up and we'll start talking about it. Um, just starting in verse 25, I'll just read a couple of verses at a time. It said, then, this is what's, you know, Jesus is teaching in the temple. The Feast of Tabernacles is going on. Uh, and so he says, then said some of the, of them of Jerusalem, is not this he whom they seek to kill? So they knew they were the Pharisees were trying to kill him. The religious leaders were trying to kill him. And the people were saying, is this not, isn't this the one that they're trying to kill? Verse 26, but lo, he speaketh boldly 
And they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that he was the very Christ? Um, so what we're seeing here is that there are questions about who he is. There's doubts. There's misunderstandings. There's there's all kind of things going on here as to, you know, is this really the Christ or is it not? Verse 27 says, how be it? We know that. This man, whence he is, that means we know where he comes from. But when Christ comes, no man knows whence he is. So what's going on is they're they're just unsure. There was a popular belief at the time that when the Messiah would appear, he would appear out of nowhere. It'd be like, poof, there he is. And you don't know where he comes from. You don't know where he goes. And, And so some people held that belief. And then there were other people who believed that he would be from Bethlehem based on scriptures. You can see that. Scan down and look at verse um, look at verse 42. We're not going to get that far today, but look at verse 42. The crowd was saying, Hath not the scripture said that Christ come, cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there were other people who thought, well, no, the Christ is coming from Bethlehem. And they knew that Jesus was from Galilee. He was from Nazareth. So he wasn't from Bethlehem. So how could this be the Messiah? And so there's just all kind of confusion. There's all kind of confusion in the crowd, all kind of questions that people have. They're saying on this hand, he might be the Messiah because, you know, he's teaching and they're not stopping him. So maybe they know he's the Messiah. And then on the other hand, you know, he can't be the Messiah because we know where he comes from. We know he comes from Nazareth. So there's just all kind of division, all kind of confusion going on, all kind of misunderstanding. And I want you just to think back as we think about just all this, this big crowd is, is, uh, Listening to him teach, they're, they have all kind of questions. They don't know really who he is. They don't know really if he's the Messiah. They don't know, you know, there's, there's talk going back and forth about who he could be. And remember the words that Jesus said to us in chapter, in earlier in chapter 7. or It might have been last week where he said, remember, it's understanding is about the heart. It's not about the mind. Remember, he said, for those who will to know God's will, then you will know where my teaching comes from. You remember that? Remember when we talked about that? Now would be a good time to nod your head and say, yes, I remember where that was. Okay. Well, this is what's going on. Their hearts aren't changed. And so what results is confusion. What results is this guy has an opinion. This guy has an opinion. This guy has an opinion. And they're all just... uh, They're all just debating among themselves. This guy, Jesus, is standing up teaching us. Well, who is he? What is he? You know, is this him? I mean, how do we how do we look at this? And then and then here's another example. Verse 28, 28. We're going to read in 29 where Jesus just gets as as offensive as he possibly can. And to be honest with you, we saw this in chapter six. We saw it at the beginning of chapter seven. But. I hadn't realized, as I've you know, I've read John before. I'm sure you've read John before. That in these passages, and if you go, we're going to go in chapter eight, and then in chapter nine, and Jesus is he gets more and more offensive with his language. Look what he says in verse. Uh, 28 and 29 it says then cried Jesus okay all this all this confusion is going on all this debate about who he is he says then cried Jesus the word cried there is not just said it's like cried out with a loud voice like he he I'm getting your attention like right now I'm talking and if all y'all were talking amongst yourselves and I said hey okay it's time for us to, that would be like he 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 cried out with a loud voice trying he was getting their attention he said 
Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, You both know me, and you know whence I am or where I'm from. He's addressing what they're talking about. We know where the Messiah is from. Basically, what he's saying is, You think you know me. You think you know where I'm from. Yeah, I'm Jesus from Nazareth. You know my father. You know my mother. You, you think you know where I'm from. And he says, And I am, but I am, and I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true. He's talking about who's he that sent me? God the Father. And then look what he says. Whom you know not. Now, I want you to imagine the effect this would have. At the Feast of Tabernacles, when the Jews were coming from all over the world to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, there were... Uh, in the Feast of Tabernacles, there was a procession every day where the high priests and uh, all the worshipers and all the people, they would get in this big procession and they would go down to the pool of Siloam, which is just a little body of water. And they would dip out a, a thing of water in a golden golden pitcher and they would march you know, all together in a procession all the way up to the temple. And they would sing the Psalms. They would sing the, the Hallelujah Psalms, the last five Psalms. And they would, uh, they would praise God. They, I mean, this was a big, joyous procession. And then the high priest would come around and he would pour water around the altar. And this was this was to thank God for his provision for the year, you know, the harvest and all that. And it was also to celebrate and to remember what God provided for them in the wilderness when he gave them water when there was no water. You know, and he gave them manna when there was no food. And so... All this is going on. On the last day of the feast, they did it seven times. So this is probably, I can picture this going on in the background. This big procession, this big religious thing, people rejoicing, hallelujah, whatever. And Jesus is standing up going, hey, you know, he's talking to these people. And basically what he told them is, hey, all y'all don't know God. I mean, can you imagine what that would have done to the people who came to Jerusalem to worship, the religious people who thought they had it going on? He basically said, you think you know me, you think you know where I'm from. He said, but the one who sent me is true and him you don't know. You don't know God is basically what he was telling. So he says in verse uh, 29, he says, but I know him for I am for I am from him. And he has sent me. Now, what would you think if I walked in here today? I mean, just your honest opinion, your honest emotion. What would come to your mind if I walked in and I said, it's good to see all y'all. I'm glad y'all are here. Um, I, I just want you to know that I myself have a relationship with God and none of y'all do. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to teach you and I'm going to instruct you on what you need to do. Because none of y'all know anything about God. Y'all don't have nothing. I've got something. What would you be thinking? What would you, in your mind, what would you be thinking? You'd be thinking, I'm going to that other Sunday school class, probably. But you would be thinking, who's this guy I think he is? I mean, he don't know my, you know, he don't know me. He don't know my heart. And these Jews were thinking the same thing. They were like, this is what we've done for ages. This, You see this big temple here? Jesus, I don't know, you might have missed it. But you see this big temple? You know, this is what was built for God, to worship God. This is these sacrifices and these, this is... I mean, this is what God told us to do. And here's Jesus saying, you don't even know God. You don't know God. He said, I know him because he sent me here. And all this big religious procession is going on in the background. And uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get going as quick as possible. I'm going to end at 39 so we'll be able to talk about it. It says, verse 30, he says, now look how it ticked them off. Verse 30 says, then they sought to take him. They wanted to arrest him. 
but no man I'm lost. No man laid hands on him. Why did no man lay hands on him? Because his hour had not come. That's probably the fourth or fifth time we've heard that phrase in John, isn't it? That his hour has not come. So does that mean that people were hindered from taking him or that they tried to take him and there was like a magic force field around him? You know, it doesn't really say, but what it's implying is that Jesus is working on God's time schedule. And we're going to see it even more here in a minute that until Jesus voluntarily gives himself to be taken, to be arrested, to be crucified, uh, no man has the power to, to grab him. No man has the power to speed up God's timetable. No man has the power to crucify Christ unless it's given. Even Pilate, you remember when, when Pilate uh, told Jesus, he said, don't you understand? I've got the authority to let you go. Jesus told him what? You have no authority except. says, unless my father give it to you, you have no power over me unless it's given to you of my father. He says, so you, even Pilate couldn't do anything. So they couldn't take him. But look, here's another group of people. Verse 31 says, and many of the people believed on him and said, when the Christ comes, will he do more miracles than these which this man had done? So now that Jesus has said, hey, guys, y'all don't even know God. And, and I'm the one who's going to tell you, I know God because I came from God and I'm here. And, you know, here you go. Now you've got even more confusion going on in the crowd. You've got, you've got this segment over here that just want him arrested. I want him gone. Let's go get him. Let's go get him. He's blasphemed in the midst of the temple. He's told us that our religion is worthless. He told us that all the things we're doing are worthless. And then you've got this other segment of the crowd who believed on him and said, Look, this guy's got miracles that he's done. He's got things that he's showing us he really is the Messiah. So what do you think is going to happen now? When, when people in the crowd start actually believing on Jesus, then who does that take? Pharisees. Yeah, the Pharisees, the religious people, the religious leaders who think this is my religion, this is the way we've always done it, this is the way we're going to do it, and I'm not going to let anybody change it. So in verse 32, and we'll be done just a second, and we talk about it. Verse 32, it says, The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things. What were they murmuring? That he might be the Christ, that he might be the Messiah. They murmured such things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. All right. So the Pharisees decided, look here, we got to get this guy. We got to get this guy stopped. He's he's talking in. I mean, he's in the midst of the temple, in the middle of this festival, telling people that he's from God and that we don't know God and that all our religion's useless. We've got to get this guy stopped. So. They sent what would be temple police. I don't know if you've ever, uh, what they call officers here would be temple police. These were the guys who kept order in the temple. You know, I mean, they had their own little security force in there. And if they were Levites, but if, if somebody came in the temple, you know, it's like we got we got here. You know, if somebody run in, starts hollering during service, we got people that will escort them outside. You know what I mean? Something like that. And so he said, the Pharisees, the chief priest said, you go get the guy. And you bring him to us. And basically, I want him arrested. Now, we're not going to get to it today, but I want to just show you what happened with those. Look in verse 45. Scan down and look at 45. It says the officers, the officers, the temple police are going to come back empty handed. And it says, verse 45 says, Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, the Pharisees said, why didn't you bring him? I mean, where's he at? Why didn't you bring him here? And the officers said, verse 46 says, 
Nobody ever spoke like that guy before. So Jesus is teaching his his way of talking to them. I mean, they they were just standing there in awe, like I mean, they could not arrest him. They could not take him because of the things he was saying. And so here's another instance where Jesus is going to show his authority. In verse 30, 30 uh, 33, we see his authority. Now, the, the guys are coming to arrest him. Okay, Here he is standing up in the temple. The procession's going on. The, the festival's going on. All these people are around. People are starting to believe. People are starting to doubt what they've been taught. People, you know, this dissension is, is spreading around. And so the Pharisees say, we're going to arrest him. We're going to send the officers to arrest him. The officers come to arrest him. And look at what Jesus says. Verse 33 says, Then Jesus said unto them, Now this I could... I want to think this is the officers. But it's the crowd too, of course. But the, the last thing we see is 33. It, it says, uh, or 32, it says, The Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Verse 33, it says, Then said Jesus unto them, Yet a little while I'm with you. And then... I'll go unto him that sent me. You shall seek me and you shall not find me. And where I am, thither you cannot go. Now, what do you think he meant? Yeah, well, we know it's his ascension. We know that he's talking about, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to the Father. He says, I'm going to be with y'all a little while longer. Let, I mean, picture the scene here. Okay, I'm up here preaching. I'm up here talking. I'm up here speaking. And Bruce walks up and says, look, I'm from the temple. Uh, and, and you know you got to cut all this out. You got to stop all this. You got to come with me. And I turn to Bruce and I say, "I'm gonna be here a little while longer, and then I'll go." I mean, you see what he's saying? He's saying like, "I'm gonna be here until it's time for me to not be here." And of course, we know from later on that the officers went back and said, "Nobody spoke like this man," you know. So Jesus is showing his authorities. No man takes his life. No man comes and silences him. No man. No man's going to even standing up in the temple of the Pharisees, in the temple where the Jews worship, uh, in the in the middle of the one of the biggest festivals that the Jews had, the festival of tabernacles or booths. No man is going to silence Jesus unless he desires to be silenced. And that's the same way that He is in your life and in mine. Is, is that when Christ lives in you, when the Holy Spirit lives in you, He cannot be silenced. He cannot, he cannot just stop being Jesus or stop being the Holy Spirit in your, in your life. It's just impossible. Even Jeremiah said, you know, when I tried not to say anything, it was like fire, you know, shut up in my bones. Have you ever noticed that? Like, I have been, I've worked in places where... You know, uh, after you done told somebody about Christ and witnessed to them as best you thought you could, three or four, five, six, eight times after a while, they're like, I don't have anything more to say. I've done said all that I know how to say. But um, it just always seems like Christ is showing back up, going, say this, say that. He's always, there's, there's no way to silence uh, the reality of who He is. Does that make sense? You see what I mean? Like for me, somebody a few weeks ago said, you may want to work on your sarcastic tone a little bit. You know, you might just be, you know, you might just, and, and so I have to work to try to, you know, fix that. But 
if I let my guard down at all, guess what comes out? You know, it's like, you know, it just cuts. Just, just happens, you know. And so it's the same way when Christ changes your heart, Christ changes your mind, Christ changes your life. You're not, we're not walking around play acting like we're Christians and we're supposed to be witnesses. It just happens. It just comes. It, and if you don't, you know, you catch yourself, you catch yourself saying things, doing things, not wanting to do things that you used to want to do. Those things just, it just comes. Uh, so, of course, they're clueless, just like these guys. In verse 30, 35 and 36, it says, Then the Jews said among them, Whither will he go that we shall not be able to find him? Will he go to the dispersion among the Gentiles? That's where Jews were dispersed among the other countries and teach the Gentiles. What manner of saying is this that he said, You shall seek me and shall not find me, and where I am, thither you cannot come. So, even when I asked y'all, y'all knew what he was talking about. They had no clue. But we so, have the history and they did not. Right. They, didn't, you know, they don't have So we would probably have the same questions in those days. Right, right. And he and he spoke in these parables for you know, this isn't a parable here, but but he spoke in these, you know, he was basically saying, I'll do what I want to do and nobody takes my life, but I'll give it when I'm ready. And when the father's ready for me. To go to the cross, I'll go to the cross. So they came to arrest him, and he said, "I'm gonna be, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be here a little while longer." Uh, so he was authoritative without being. I can't say it no more. Remember, my no, mom's no. listening. <laughs> he was authoritative without being okay. Yeah. And so his authority meant more because. Sure. It's kind of like when you whisper, people actually listen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I can just think, I mean, you can, we read verse 45, and we'll get to that deeper next week, but they said they didn't take him. The, the soldiers had, uh, yeah, they, they had specific instruction to arrest him and bring him to the Pharisees and the chief priests. And we want to talk to him, and they didn't do it. And the only thing they could say when they got there was, Nobody ever spoke like that guy, <laughs> you know. I mean, the Pharisees specifically asked him, "Why did you not bring him like we told you?" And he said, "Nobody spoke like him before." And so, we'll get into that next week. But that's pretty amazing. Now, verses thirty-seven, thirty-eight, and thirty-nine is where I want to spend all our time. It's where I want y'all to start interacting and let's talk about what he means here in the last day of the great day of the feast this is the day where seven times they would go and dip water and they would bring water around the altar and they pour water and then they the whole i'm talking about the whole procession of people would go down to the pool of siloam and they would dip water the priest would dip water this golden jug this golden flag and then and he they would march back through the city to the temple and they'd pour water around and so this big water ceremony is going on in the background. And in the last day of the feast, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried. He said, if any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. And then he says, he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers 
of living water. But He spoke this of the Spirit which they that believe on Him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, but that Jesus, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, what do you think He meant when He said, "Okay, remember this big water festivals going, this big water ceremonies going on at this feast." And he, Jesus stands up while these guys are bringing this water back and forth seven times on the last day to the temple. And he said, if anybody thirsts, come to me and drink. What do you think he meant by that? The same thing you told me like the way? Yeah, it is. Isn't it? it sure is. What does thirsting mean? Is he talking about water? Oh, I need some water. Jesus hooked me up with some water. What do you think the thirst is that he's talking about? Thirst for God. Thirst for God? Thirst for righteousness. For righteousness? No. No. Okay, sure. All those all those are true. What is thirst? Have you ever been this is kind of it sounds like a it's dumb a question. But huh? It's a need. Yes, it's definitely a need. And that's pretty much what he was talking about. Have you ever been thirsty? Like not we've all been thirsty, but like thirsty, like if I don't get some water. I'm gonna I'm gonna fold up here yeah, real quick. You know what I mean? Hey, has anybody ever been that thirsty? Like, you know, I want to say like man versus wild thirsty. Like, oh no, I need to find some water. You can go. You can go days, days and days upon a time without eating. Did you know that? I mean, like I can't, but some of y'all probably can. You know. <laughs> I think it's it's like somebody told me this, and I don't know if it's true. It may not be true, but it was always it's the, like the rule of three or something. You can you can only go three minutes without oxygen. You can go uh, three hours without. No, that ain't right. Yeah, you can go three minutes without oxygen. You can't go you, after then. It's serious. Three minutes without oxygen, you can go three hours without shelter. Only three hours in like super hot desert or super cold, you know, Antarctica. You got to have shelter in three hours or you're going to die. Uh, you can go three, only three days without water, but you can go three weeks without food. Did you know that? You go three weeks without food before you actually keel over and die of starvation. But you can only go three, you can only go about three days without water before you die. And so I don't know how true that is, but that's probably a rough, you know, estimate of, of whatever. But you're, you think he's talking about my stomach and my, I, I need water because I'm so thirsty. Is that what he's talking about? Come to me and drink. If you thirst, come to me and drink. He's talking about your soul thirsting. What is the thirst that your soul has? Now we know it's God and we know righteousness, but... Jimmy's soul is thirsty for something. Okay? The guy who's walking down the road who don't know anything about anything, just going to work, going home, his soul is thirsting for something, even though he may not realize what exactly it is. The guy who's over in the ditch, just passed out drunk, his soul is thirsting for something. What do you think that thing is that everybody on this planet is thirsting for? They want what? They want life. And when you say life, you mean they want not just, hey, I'm alive, but I want a good life. I want satisfaction. I want, I want, yeah, I want something more. I want purpose in my life. I want meaning. I want satisfaction. I want to have peace. I want to have joy. You know, I don't want to just survive. And Jesus stands up and he says, if any man thirsts, 
Let him come to me and drink. He says, uh, let him come to me and drink. And then he clarifies in verse 38, he that believeth on me. Do you think what is thirsting and drinking have to do with believing? You think what he means when he says drink of me? What does that mean? How do I come and drink of Christ? Yeah, yeah. I come and believe by faith. I come and believe in Christ. He says, if you drink of me, you know, your your soul is thirsty. Everybody's soul has a thirst. And over time, that thirst can get so desperate that people will do the most desperate things. They'll do the most extreme things. The, the reality is that you and I and the guy down the road and the guy drunk in the ditch and the guy, you know, all, you were designed by God to be in a relationship with God. And if that is broken, if it's not there, if it's, if it's separated, even as believers, if it gets out of kilter just a little bit, you know, maybe I haven't talked to him in a while, maybe I haven't, you know, listened to him in Scripture in a while, maybe I haven't fellowshiped with his people in a while, when that gets out of kilter just a little bit, that thirst of your soul will come back. And what happens with us is, I don't know about y'all, but me, what happens with me is when I don't, I just know that there's something I'm missing. And what happens is I go trying to fill it with all kind of stuff. Have you ever, I was watching some show, this has been years ago, but uh, I don't even know what it was. But they're in a desert and they're walking, it's probably some dumb movie or whatever. And there was no water, but they had cases and cases of Jack Daniels. You know what I'm saying? So they're walking in the walking in the and one guy was like, Hey, it's liquid, I'm gonna drink it, I'm thirsty, right? And guess who died first? Yeah, because it didn't quench his thirst, it made him more thirsty, it made him more dehydrated, it made him more, you know, his body longed more for water than the other guys because he was taking moisture out of his body by drinking that stuff. And so what I do is, and what we do is, when my soul thirsts and I don't recognize right off that it's it's Christ that's going to fulfill that thirst, it's relationship with God that's going to fulfill that thirst, I go trying to stick other stuff in there. I go trying to stick fun. In there, or buying new things, or you know, some people do alcohol and drugs, and some people do relationships, some people do food, some people you, you pick your thing, whatever it may be, and you go trying to stick that in there. Uh, what happens is you're just going to get more and more thirsty. It's like drinking Jack Daniels in the desert. You know, it tastes good. It's wet. It's wet going down. I don't know if it tastes good, but it's wet going down and it feels like liquid and it feels like it's going to quench your thirst. But what happens is it dehydrates your body even more and the thirst is worse than when you start. And so he's saying your soul, if your soul thirsts, you come to him and drink. You were designed by God to have your thirst of your soul quenched by God. Have you seen, you've noticed, I mean, y'all noticed, you know, people that just seem at peace, you know, just at peace with God. I, I've, I've had, I know I keep bringing this up, but I've had all kinds of, just in the month that I've been working at the hospital, just experiences of, uh, I could tell you about people that on their life, I mean, this is, this is the day they're going to die today. And they're just at peace. They just at peace. They happy, joyful, telling jokes. You know, smiling, you know, just not worried a bit, not worried a bit. 
And then on the other side, I can tell you people who they're, they're not even, it's not even sure they're going to die. They're just facing like a really terrible surgery or a really long deal. And they're just terrified. They're terrified out of their mind. Like I, you know, just nothing but tears and, and panic and all that, you know. And so your, your soul is thirsty for uh, something that can satisfy it. And the only thing that can satisfy that is is Christ. It's a relationship with God. And the reason that is is because you're designed that way. You're designed to do that. Uh, it's like a, like a, it's a really dumb example, but like a TV remote. You know, it's designed to take AA batteries. Okay? You can shove C batteries in that drover all you want to. Or or AAA batteries in that drover. It's designed to run on AA batteries. It's not going nothing else is gonna work. You know, now I can take that joker apart and I can hook wires to it and stick it in a 110 outlet, but more than likely it's probably gonna blow up in my hand or something. It's designed to work off of what it's designed to work off of. And that's the same way your soul is. That's the same way your life is. So even as Christians, now I could preach this message to all the lost people out there and get them to come to Christ. But even as believers, when that, when that relationship with God gets off kilter just a little bit, when maybe you haven't spoken to Him in a while, maybe you don't have that close communion you once did, when you sin and, and you feel like fellowship is, is waning there between you and God, that soul, you can start feeling that thirst coming back. You can start feeling that hunger for something coming back. You may not understand what it is, and you may start trying to stick other things in there, but you need to understand that the only thing that can satisfy that thirst is not family, not husband, not wife, not money, not not food, not you know anything other than Christ. Anything other than a relationship with Him. Y'all understand that? Do y'all uh, have any examples or anything like that? Anything you want to say? Questions or comments? Okay. All right. So, I have a question. Okay. Back to 31. 31. Wait, let me find it. I got stumped on this problem. Okay. No, that's right. Many of the people believe on him and said, When Christ cometh, he will do more miracles than these which this man had done. Okay. Does that mean they're confused about who's standing up there talking? Well, they're they're. Were they thinking that was a different Messiah than the one that was coming? No, what they're saying is, if Jesus isn't the Messiah, uh, the question assumes uh, a negative answer. So they're saying, when when Christ comes, will He do more miracles? Than these which this man has done. They're basically asking, this man has got to be the Christ. Yeah. Because, I mean, who could do more miracles than he's done? Who's, who's you know, who could do... And now, does that mean they believed on him in the way that we're talking salvation-wise completely? They've given their life to him? You know, probably not. They're probably just recognizing that this man is the Messiah. You know, this man is is the one we've been waiting for and now they're going to listen to him talk. Does that make sense? Yeah. Does that make sense to you? They're, they're basically... The crowd is getting divided. These guys are saying he is the Messiah. These guys are saying he's not the Messiah. And so they're just kind of... They're fighting amongst themselves. Um, so we drink from Christ by believing, right? What time is it? Okay, we got to go. And he says, fountains of living water. What is that? 
He, he that believeth on me, as Scripture has said, out of his belly, which is, just don't think belly, but your innermost being, your insides, your, your what makes you you, shall flow rivers of living water. What do you think he means by that? Now we know he's talking about the Spirit. The next verse says it's talking about the Spirit. He said this about the Spirit that those who believe on him would receive. Water, water ceremonies going on. Jesus said, if you're thirsty, you come to me and drink. And if you come to me and drink, I won't just give you a drink. I'll give you a never-ending supply of water that will flow out of your belly. Huh? Yeah, it, uh, an eternal, you will never be thirsty again. That's what he told the woman at the well. Because out of your belly will flow fountains of living water. Now, there's a couple of different opinions about where in the Old Testament this comes from. That's not as important really as, I mean it's important, but it's not as important as understand what he's talking about. He says that, uh, he says that you will have rivers, not, not a river, but rivers, plural. There will be more than one river flowing out of your belly, your belly, your belly, your your insides of water. So if you thirst, you come to him. He don't. He not only gives you water, but he gives you an eternal, abundant supply that's going to be running out of you all the time. Well, and that's the spirit. How does that work? How does the spirit do that? See, I'm trying to. I'm trying to get y'all talking. You don't talk to me. Okay. What, how does it do it when it pertains to quenching your thirst? You're not looking for the other Yeah, you're, you're continually satisfied. You're continually, your thirst is forever quenched because no longer do you need someone to give you a drink. You have fountains, or you have rivers of living water coming out of you all the time. You have Christ inside you. You have your heart. So basically what you need to understand for this is that your soul is supposed to be thirsty. That's how you were designed. If you have not, if you don't have this uh, eternal relationship with God, or if that eternal relationship with God is strained in some way by your sin or by your actions or by anything that you do, guess what? You're supposed to be thirsty. So if you ever wonder like, why do I just feel empty? Why do I feel? You're supposed to. That's how you're designed. If, if something's going on with you and God, that's what's going to happen. You're supposed to be thirsty. You're supposed to be unsatisfied without Christ. If you don't have Christ, if a person doesn't have Christ, if, if you're a believer and you know that something has gone wrong, you've done something wrong, you're not investing your time to communicate with God, you just pick your whatever, you are supposed to be unsatisfied and you will perpetually be unsatisfied until you come back to the source of the water. Does that make sense? Okay? And so when we... When we, when we stray from that, we get unsatisfied. We get empty feeling. We get longing for something else. We get those things. And so Christ is here saying that if you're thirsty, if your soul is thirsty, then you come to me and drink. And he's not just saying, lost man, your soul is thirsty, come to me and drink. He's, he's telling us as well. He's saying... If any man thirst, was it verse? Uh, 
If any man thirst, who was in the crowd he was talking to? How many different kinds of people? Huh? There was religious folks that were trying to arrest him. There was regular folks who believed that he was the Messiah but didn't really understand. There were people who doubted that he was the Messiah. There were policemen that had been sent to arrest him. And so he's telling his enemies, he's telling the people who very well could believe on him, he's telling the people that didn't understand what he's saying, he's telling everybody, and he stood up in the middle of this procession of people walking around with their bucket of water to uh, go around the altar, chief priests, high priests, temple officers, people in the crowd, and he said, if any man thirst, you let him come to me and drink. So as a believer, he's telling you today, if you thirst, then you come to me and drink. As an unbeliever, he says, if you thirst, you come to me and drink. And he says, it's not about, he doesn't say, you come to me and I'll give you something to drink. I am the drink. You come to me and you drink from me, is what he's saying. He's not saying, I've got what you need. He's saying, I am what you need. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? Any questions? Yes. Isn't it, in some ways, he's saying, you know, all this that's going on with the whole water ceremony is really nothing, but I am the something. Oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if I was the chief priest holding the flagon of water, this golden pitcher of water, you know, and here I am going through this water ritual, and there's some dude over there yelling, going... You know, if you thirsty, you need to come to me and drink. You know, I'd be thinking, man, somebody needs to arrest him. But look, this is important what we're doing here. He's telling him, look, he's telling them, here I am. I mean, you see all this you're doing, all this religious ceremony, ritual deal. Here I am. I'm the fulfillment of all this stuff. It says, if you want, you're holding on to the shadow. It's like me having a picture of Dana, and Dana's not around, and so. You know, I just fawn over that picture. Oh, this picture is so beautiful, whatever. And then when Dana shows up, I'm like, hold on, Dana. I'm looking at this picture right now. You know what I mean? It's like I'm still wanting the picture and not the reality. Jesus is standing there going, I'm, here I am. I'm the reality of what all this is pointing to. And you're still stuck, you know, looking at the picture when the reality is right there. So he was telling them, I think he was saying, you know, all, all this that y'all are doing is... You know, it's not effective for anything. I am the reality of it. So, yes, I do agree. And that's why when people started believing, uh, he's going to get in more and more trouble. In chapter 8, we're going to see basically he looks the Pharisees right in the eyes and says, your daddy is the devil. (laughs) I mean, he's going to look them right in the eye and say, you are from Satan. You know, that's basically what he's going to say. So he's going to get in more and more and more trouble until about, you know, 12, 13 chapters. You know, they're going to kill him. They're going to, they're going to send people to arrest him and kill him. It's going to be the last supper. It's going to be all those things. Okay? Y'all with me? Everybody understand? Any more questions? <coughs> Anything you want to talk about? We'll probably finish this chapter. Uh, we're going to do our thing Friday. If you weren't here at the beginning of class, we're going to do our Sunday school deal Friday. Um, I'll text y'all. So no questions. 
Alright, the point of this whole deal, if you thirst, if your soul longs for anything unsatisfied in any way with life, with whatever, Jesus says, you come to me and drink. I am the satisfaction. Anything you try to drink other than him will not satisfy. Okay? Alright, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for what you... uh, have given us, God, as we go and uh, go into service, we pray that you be with Brother Eddie as he's um, preaching your word, that you would be with us, give us, uh, give us ears to hear and eyes to, eyes to see what